Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another bonus episode from the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. We're excited to bring this one to you. This is another one from the Mobile Hunters Expo in Chattanooga, Tennessee, from earlier this summer. This is a do-it-yourself hunter, which is Jeremy Aaron and Daniel Lemon. They did a seminar at the show, uh, kind of breaking down how they plan their hunts, how they hunt in river bottoms and stuff like that. This is a really, really good seminar. They did a fantastic job with it. And uh, I will say there is a visual element to this. So they're going to be talking about some stuff in here that obviously, if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see. If you want to see it, I've got a link in the show notes of uh, the video version of this seminar where you can go check that out. It's uh, it's from the, the Skinny Pine Hunting Co. That's a, a YouTube channel. Uh, buddy Vars out of East Texas was at the Mobile Hunters Expo and actually filmed this entire seminar. So you can go over to his channel and find it, or you can hit the link below and find it that way if you would rather actually watch this on video. But even if you don't watch it on video, there's still a lot to glean from this, especially here right now leading up to season. So season's going to be here before we know it. We're really excited. Uh, one more quick update. I have got our newest order of hats in so more hats are going to be on the website soon. We'll be sure to keep you guys updated with that. Make sure you're following us on you know, any kind of social media, Instagram, Facebook, and, and that's where we'll probably end up putting it out first that the hats are back in stock. So uh, y'all make sure to keep an eye out for that. But without further ado, let's kick it on over to this uh, seminar from Do-It-Yourself Hunter. Say welcome, folks. I'm Jeremy Aaron. This is Daniel Lemon. It's an honor to be here, y'all. We love to hunt. We're no different from y'all. So let's get started here. You know, we're gonna do it from tag to brag. Daniel come up with that saying, I didn't, it's pretty sharp, but it's, it's so we're, we're gonna do a little bit of bragging on our history of hunting. So y'all know where we, our background of hunting, where we come from. I sort of done a little presentation here. It's gonna be short and sweet. Of a little bit of ballast here first on our hunting career. Let's get on here. So like I said, I'm we're from North Central Mississippi. I grew up dog hunting, y'all. Dog hunting, shooting deer, running with a rifle. You know, it's, it's, I've changed way from where I well hunt now. <clears throat> but I, when I started out, no stand hunting. I probably didn't kill a deer out of the stand until I was 20 years old. Because uh, I just didn't hunt that way. <clears throat> but over the years, this fall, it'll be 40 years since I got to go out west on hunting public land. So in the last 40 years, I've hunted a lot of different places and been very fortunate to hunt different different areas and and, and learn a lot oh, <clears throat> from cold to <laughs> every which style of hunting and i just love that y'all i don't like going back to the same place over and over i like going hunting new territory oh i know a lot of folks are all different the, the, the thinking of way you like to hunt oh, but i seem like i learned so much by hunting different areas meeting different different guys that hunt in different areas and stuff Oh, and even coming back to Mississippi hunting, y'all, the biggest buck I've ever killed in Mississippi, and I've hunted there my whole life. I killed the first one when I was eight years old. I killed this buck right there, 100 yards from my back door. I'd done hunting four states that year, and I come back home and killed the biggest deer in my backyard. So I guess the point of that is 
you never know where the big ones are a lot of times. I know a lot of these guys run cameras and they're in parts of the country, they, they kill big deer. We're not in big deer country, but we're gonna show you how we go to other places and kill big deer. Now let's get to Daniel, y'all. I'm gonna introduce Daniel. I'm not gonna let him introduce himself, y'all, because Daniel is 22 years old, y'all. Oh, turn it on here. Let's show it. 16 years old. I talked to him and his dad. I was like, hey, here's a place. Next state over, y'all go hunt this. He killed his buck on the ground, 16 years old. How many of y'all ever went out of state and killed 150 class inch deer out of state at 16? So I knew then Daniel was very special. I knew he knew how to read sign. He had a passion for love for, for hunting. He killed his buck in, 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 in Missouri, I mean, in, in Kansas last year. Look at that. But what, what I really wanna say right here, this next, what he done, he went to Montana last year by himself. Never been to Montana, y'all. Think about a 21-year-old kid, to what, 2,200-mile trip? Yeah. Loaded up, went by himself. I was supposed to go with him. Everything fell apart, and I couldn't go. And I'm like, you go do this. You can do it. And he went and done this, y'all, and he accomplished something I think very few ever done. I done it later on in life, but I didn't at that age by myself. He went and he killed a mule deer, and he killed an elk by himself the very first time he went, y'all. So that's where I was, you know, I'm very proud of this young guy, and you're going to see a lot more of him next few years because he's got a passion for it, and he knows how to kill him. So now we're going to get to how we're going to show y'all and hope y'all get something out of this that teach y'all how to do this. Oh, so let's, let's get started here, and we'll... <clears throat> well, basically, you've got to pick a place. Where do you want to go? You know, so many people asked us, where I want, I want to go I want to go up to another state but I don't I don't know where I want to go some of y'all may have done went to several places uh, but you got to start somewhere I always tell everybody you, you've got to start the sky's the limit here's places we've been this is just in the last three years places we cyber scouted or places we've been so we've been very fortunate you got to do a lot of traveling oh uh, <clears throat> so after we you, you pick a spot you know that can be you know up here is it, they know yeah, yeah, it can be anywhere. Uh, it, most people that I ask, and I've seen how they got started, it's most time it's a place they've always sort of lit a fire in them. They, they may want to go to like Kansas. They want to, may want to go to Iowa or word of mouth. You may have a coworker or something that said, hey, let's, let's, let's go here. Or you may have kin folks. Them three, them three things is pretty much, I would say 90% of the people that the first time they went out of, out of state, it was one of them three things. If somewhere they wanted to go, or it was a word of mouth of a place, or it was they had kin folks, and the kin folks invited them to, to hunt there. So, all right, so we're picking a state. Just say we're picking a state we want to go. We're going to say, like, this Ohio. I've never, Daniel, neither one of us, I've never hunted Ohio, so let's say, say we want to go to Ohio. That's our state. That's where we want to go. <clears throat> all right, now I'll let Daniel say this. When you want to go? Well, I mean, for the best chance of killing a mature deer is during a rut, you know, most of the time, 100% of the time, unless unless you're good at you know finding early season stuff. But the rut or late season, they're on food, and you know a lot of people they have to work around their job when going hunting, so you get a limited time you know off of work. I'm fortunate enough that what my work is, you know, sort of self-employed. So I can take off when I want to, stay gone as long as I need to. Um, but you have to, you know, schedule around your work. Uh, 
when you can get off. Say that's a week during November. Um, you know, best time, like I say, depending on where you go in the Midwest, first, second week of November, third week of November is good, but play the weather too. You know, because weather's a big factor in getting bucks up on their feet looking for does. Um, Yeah, you want this? You sure? Okay. We got two completely different setups. They're similar, but they're different. I have a single cab pickup. As far as, you know, we're talking about how we stay and what we stay in. I have a single cab pickup with a camper shell on it. And I, you know, I'm fairly simple. I try to go minimal um, as far as gear. This was Actually, about a year ago, I had more stuff I've downgraded as far as gear that I take. I usually take two coolers, uh, clothes, uh, my saddle set up, my, getting a tree. Um, I built this little cot mattress deal here. I can stick store stuff under it. I usually carry a couple, two or three uh, pairs of boots in case they get wet because it's hard to dry them out when you're on the road like that. And I always crawl through the back window to get in bed at night. I'm small enough I can crawl through there. But it will get cold back there. You got a complete, completely different setup. Like I said, doing this for several years, traveling, camping, a lot of time tent camping. I've got where I like staying in a vehicle. I done like Daniel, I started with a pickup, started with a camper. But when you get hunting areas, it's teens and the teens at night and the single digits it can get cold in the back of a camper so i really went to in the last three years i got me a subaru y'all i love it i love my subaru he gets good gas mileage oh that's one thing i like about it he gets super good gas mileage it's all-wheel drive so i can go in mud i can go in snow i got plenty of room i, I move my pack over i got a bedroll on one side and all my gears on the, on the left side of me or I can put some of it in the front seat. Uh, but a lot of it, you sort of get to that. Daniel's in his early stages. He, he sees where he likes liked to have an SUV, wouldn't you? you know, but you, you can go with what you got. Uh, based on why we're saying the, the car camping, that's, if you stay in a motel room, you can do that, but that's a major expense, y'all. Think about staying a week. You know, in, a, in hunting season in a, property, in, a, in a prime area, they're going to charge. You'll have to pay $100 a night. These vehicles, when you get them set up like that, uh, will we look at our gas and our tag? Because you're going to eat wherever you're at, so I don't really figure that in. That's, that's your major expense, is your gas, getting out there, uh, and, and how we stay in them like that right there. Uh, so we got that. We got to our gear. We sort of wanted to show how our setup is. You know, Daniel's going to talk about that's, that's what we go in with. We got our camera system. You know, we self-film. We got all of our camera gear and everything in there. Uh, you got anything? Because he, he packs real efficient. Yeah, I try to keep everything tight in my pack, tight as I can, close to my body as I can. Um, I, like I say, I got my platform actually inside the pack, just at very minimal noise clanking together. Um, I try to keep everything quiet, tight. I just want to be able to slide in somewhere. Um, super quiet with that, but uh, layering up as far as in my pack. When I get somewhere, steps are coming off first. I'm gonna reach in there, my saddle's on top. So I'm grabbing it, 
putting it on. Next thing is uh, my lineman rope. I got it. Um, after that, got my platform. I'll hook it on my side. Um, I'll take a step off, put it on a tree, take another step, put it on my left side usually. Um, I'll have another step in my hand and I'll throw the backpack on me and I'll go up in one trip. So when I get to the bottom of a tree, I start and I go to the top with everything. And when I come down, it's just pretty much a reverse for me. The last thing I'm putting on the tree is uh, camera base and arm and all that. So that's the first thing that's gonna come off and go in my pack, just so everything's layered up, keeps everything nice and uh, eat where you can find it. And you'll know if you get to it and you're like, oh, that's not where it's supposed to be. So it kind of misses. So I just like everything to be repeatable in in my pack where I don't have to think about where it's at. I reach and grab it, and there it is. Like I said, the main thing is being organized. Same thing in our vehicles. We know where everything's at in that vehicle. It's like living in a tiny home. Uh, <clears throat> all right, next, we're looking for that perfect spot. Uh, we know the state. Say we want to go to Ohio. We, we, we know the state, and we're wanting to key in on a spot now. You can't hunt the whole state. You can only hunt one, one spot at a time. So here's how we're going to show you how we key in on some certain things. I'm a river bottom hunter. Daniel will hunt river bottoms. He likes hunting the hills too. Here's a topo that I look for. This is in Mississippi, but I'm looking for this. This, this There's a river. Here's a navigable river right here. I look for that. You know, I pull up the state and I start looking for rivers and lakes. All right, I'm looking for boat ramps where I can put in. That's, that's the key of what I look for when, I, when I'm cyber scout. When I'm at home, I know I want to go to Ohio, uh, I really cyber scout look like that right there. Uh, and then here's another thing I look for. A lot of folks think, well, a river bottom is flat. No, they're not. They may have a foot or two elevation change in it. I'll look for that, y'all. See right here, these topo. See how this little bit of elevation change, that little high spot right there? Them are unique features for me I, I look for on a map. These little high spots in a ridge in the bottom, it's just like a ridge. Deer make scrapes on them. One thing, species of trees will change if you get a foot or two elevation in the bottom. You will have more mass crop, more oaks and stuff like that that'll come up on these higher elevations. A lot of times, always along the, the, of, a, of a creek, river, the highest ground is going to be right next to it because when that river overflows, it dumps that sediment out. It's going to be higher right there next to the creek. And most of the time it's lower out from it. You wouldn't think it'd be like it. You think it'd just get higher and higher the further away it got. But a lot of times in flat river bottom, you'll have high spots and like this little high ridge here. I really look for things like that. This feature right up here next, I think a lot of you has never thought about this. And it took years for us to learn this right here. You got these bends in the river, when a buck's on a mature buck's chasing a doe, he knows when she's finna come in. It may be another 10 hours or so. He'll hammer up in these points because he's got water on three sides. So all he's got to do is keep her in there, and he know time's on his side. I killed a buck right there, and I killed a buck right there. They're coming in. It was going into it, and this one was coming out. Sail Lake with a finger points out in it. It got land that runs out in it. Big, mature buck love pushing those out on stuff like that. And now they're hard to hunt because you may hunt them three or four days and not see nothing. But a lot of times, that's where you kill big deer. They push them into spots like that. So that's the little thing where I really look for. Um, here's an area. This is Buffalo County, Wisconsin. I have hunted there. 
They're just, I just, I, this caught my eye. I sort of want to sort of, what I look for, this is a navigable river. You can go up the Chippewa River. Here's the old river. The road is way out here. So all this is cut off. Look at this pinch point right here, how narrow this is. And then you got this old run that comes up through here, this chute. Anywhere you can look at a map, to me, river bottom's easy hunting. A lot of folks say, well, what you look for? I, I look for features like that. Uh, you always say about transition. Well, part of it's the water. The water transition from the timberland. To me, that's a natural barrier. They, they will cross it, but not naturally. You know, most of the time, they're going to go upside it. So to me, I would look right here. If you really blow this up, there's a beaver dam right there. Look how tight that pinch point is. That's just things I look for in river bottoms to start. You know, like we're at now, we're at a starting point. We want to know where we want to start when we go to that state. That's just some things that I, that I look at. Here's one, Daniel. This is this is his. He killed a deer on this right here, and let you show you these features here. All right, this right here was a spot, and and I'm a I like hills just because what I grew up hunting was rolling hills. So I learned that. I learned how to kind of play that, play wind in it. What we had right here, we had this big wide open. Uh, it almost was like a CRP field, but they kept it cut short for some reason. Um, but right here, this is a very steep drain, and I walked up this, and there was no deer trails crossing this at all. But we had a big deer trail coming around right here and cutting back, and there was a big thicket over here. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, we got does over here, more than likely. We got a trail that comes around and loops the bottom side of this. So with a wind pushing this way, you're going to have bucks wanting to cruise the bottom side of this thicket. But, you know, there could be one, he could skirt around you for whatever reason. Uh-oh. But uh, we had this super steep drain. So in my mind, you know, a big deer, he's not going to want to be out in the open. So right here, we had a big trail coming this way, and we had another trail cutting around and coming in right here. And I had a wind this one day. It was blowing right over the top of this bottom trail, and I got right over it. And at like, I think it was nine something, nine o'clock that morning, I had a deer come up, good deer come around. He come around right below me. He was downwind, but I was up high enough. My wind was blowing over him, and the wind was like this. So he was cutting that corner of that wind, and he was gonna come around here and go right up the backside of where this thicket was, scent checking. So I was planning for him to come scent check that thicket but when you find a steep drain like this or any kind of funnel this is what i call a funnel pinch point you know that's that's just a tight spot for deer to want to come come through and you know a lot of people they want to they want to be out they want to be out to see the fields be on the edge of that but a big deer he knows how to stay alive has to keep out of sight so he's going to hang this bottom side with the wind in his favor so this is just an example of what I look for. And that could change from different places um, that you hunt, too. You know, after he killed that deer there, I got looking at this topo. Cause like I said, I'm not a hill hunter, but that's a pinch point. To me, that don't look like a pinch point until I realized what he had done and we looked at the terrain. Because that, that coming up through, I didn't want to cross it. It was steep. It was a deep, deep cut. But right up here, it was flat. And them deer were just coming right around the top of it. But, but, but you start learning features like that by looking at maps. You're like, okay, look how steep that is. And look how it generally is out. And you got to open that they're not going to go across. So that's, that's one reason I want to show that is you look for things. Over time, you learn things like that. But remember that 
and then when you cyber scout, and that'll, that'll help you. All right, we found the spot. A lot of times when we find a spot that looks good on the map, that's our starting point. Very seldom we always kill a deer right there. That's where we start and we put boots on the ground. Daniel's got a very unique way how he scouts that I want him to tell you about. I think you'll learn from him, because I did. So when I get to a place, like I say, I've cyber scouted, I've seen kind of what I'm wanting to look for, and I'll pick several spots to go check when I get somewhere. The first day that I get there, I'm scouting. I am not worried about climbing a tree. I am scouting that entire day. And I am looking for three spots. I want, a, I want my number one spot that I have found the best sign that looks good to me. I'm like, okay, this right here, I can play, get a wind that a mature buck is gonna wanna come through. And this is, this is my number one. My number two spot, you know, pretty good second chance spot or number two spot um but i'm i'm playing all three of these spots because i look for three spots and i'm playing wind so I, when, every day that i'm hunting i'm always able to hunt with any kind of wind i have and i'm always wanting to get to that number one spot like a if any of y'all watched our channel my kansas buck that i killed this past year i had found three spots and that was my number one spot i wanted to be in that spot but I had to wait two days to be able to get in there because I seen a wind switch was coming. So I was having to hunt another spot where I had a south wind. And one day, the day that I was waiting on, we had a front coming in, it hit about 10 o'clock that morning. And when that wind started switching, I jumped down and run over there and got in there at like 12 something. And then at two o'clock that buck come in. But that was my number one spot that I wanted to be in. And uh, so I, I like my three, three spots. Yeah, basically, what I get out of his three spots, he finds like A, B, and C, or one, two, three. But they're for a different wind direction. Yeah, but he's got that one prime one that is ready. All right, now we're going to go to the best time to be in a tree. We found the tree. We found the tree we want to be in. With We know what wind we want. Here's the thing that I've learned over the years. I, I always, if you watch very my videos, I say I got three key factors I'm looking for. The rut's one of them. So if you go in during the rut, you know you got that one. The second one is weather. We figured up the bucks we killed the last couple of years. 80 to 90% of them has been killed the day of the front, the day after the front, or the second day after the front. Them three days is the most productive on mature deer we've seen. You know, we went back and sort of looked at what we've killed. Them three days really was big. And then our third phase is the moon. The moon gives you what time of day you better be in that tree. Uh, you're, you're there hunting them. Most time when you found that good spot, they're all day sets. But you really know if you're on a new moon or I mean, I mean, I know, major or minor. Does most of y'all know, do y'all understand what the major or minor move time is? Majors when the moon's straight up, the moon's straight down. You know, some folks call it a, a full moon, a, a red moon. I, I, I go when it's straight up, straight down. Miners when it's rising and when it's setting. The moon cycle is basically 25 hours, so it's, it's an hour later every day, generally 45 to 50 minutes later every day. So it means it's gonna be, it's gonna stagger. It's gonna start getting later and later. Or I'm saying is, say uh, we had a front come through. Daniel's found his number one spot. He knows where he wants to be. The front's come through. Our move time is, that 
three days after a full moon, you get up that morning, that moon is like at two o'clock. So you know in about two or three hours, we finna have a minor. That is the time I really like, y'all. If, if that falls during the rut, that full moon, then few days right after that, that full moon, it's, it seemed like we've had the best. If I could pick it and pick all that, that's what I would look for. But like I said, them three factors, figure them in. I have killed deer with two of them. I killed a good buck in Oklahoma, Oklahoma a couple of years ago. It was, it was, say, the third week of October. No rut. But I had two of them. Had a major front come through and had a move time that morning and killed that buck. He was up on his feet. So that's why everybody say, you ain't got to have all three, but when you have all three, you better be in the woods. A lot of times when I'm working around home and stuff like that, you guys, it's, that's you got jobs and stuff, and you got. I prioritize my time with these three phases right here. Oh, uh, say so if I can go, I can go hunting today, but I got something I got to do. So I really look at the moon chart and see, hey, is it going to be better this morning or is it going to be better in the evening? Which of the ones is better? I'm going to hunt them, but I'm going to do my chores the other time. So I, I really like saying that to sort of get y'all thinking, because there's better times to be in the woods. You know, a lot of guys say, well, I ain't got but certain times I can hunt. Well, go hunt then. But I'm just telling you, what I've learned over the years, there are better times than not. And we really key in on them, especially how I'm rigged up, Daniel's sort of rigged up now. Say if we was wanting to go to Ohio, and we knew the rut was, say, the 5th of November. We could go three or four days early, but it's hot. We, I, I don't waste my time going early. I, we sit back and wait on them fronts. I know a lot of folks is not, you, you can't do that. You got to go where you work, but it took me 30 years to get where I can do what I do now, but I really put a lot of emphasis on being there at the right time. Oh. Did I, I hit the wrong button. Let's get here. All right. After we've done all that, we got successful. We got a buck on the ground. Here's Daniel Specialty here. Now, a lot of places, um, when you're way back in there, you don't feel like dragging a deer out. You need to debone him. You need to pack him out. So I start, I just, you know, I'll take the deer, get him on his side. I'll rip it down the back, take out a back strap, cord him out. I'll hang a quarter up, debone it, uh, keep it clean. I'm not big on mountain deer, so... You know, a lot of people, some people want to mount a good deer. It's fairly simple to do when you want to get the cape of a deer. You split him all the way up the back, all the way to the back of the neck. And then it's it's basically caping a deer out hanging up, but just on the ground. The only difference is you split him up the back, you peel the hide around the side, both sides. You know, it's fairly easy. If you're on an out-of-state trip, you need salt, salt to keep the hide, you know, good until you can get it back home since you can't freeze it. Um, but it's just pretty simple to do if you want a mounted deer. Just salt, you know, cape it out. That'll keep it good until you can get it home, get it to your taxidermist. Well, another thing is there are a lot of laws on CWD now. When you get out of state, you, you, the best rule of thumb we use is we bone them out so we haven't got any bone. We cut the skulls off the skull plate and clean them, and you're pretty much good in most states cross the state line because they will confiscate your your antlers and horns and everything with the CWD now. Um, so you really need to, well, I, I will, like, when we do it like that, you basically cover everywhere. So, 
I basically, after we've done all that, one thing I'd say for y'all guys that's got kids and stuff like that, there are a lot of good youth hunts all over this country to travel, y'all. There's some states that offer discounts for a kid's license. I'm, I'm pretty sure Idaho, if it's still like it was, you, you get a tag in Idaho, your kid can go on a resident price. Oh, this is one of my daughters, my middle daughter. I took her to Montana two years ago. She graduated college. She was finna get out on her own. She loved, always loved to hunt with me. We went and spent two weeks out there and had a ball, and I, she won't never forget that. So don't forget your kids, y'all. Really, really get them involved in this traveling too. Oh. And another thing that's very important for me is this one right here. This is my wife, y'all. I've been married 32 years and very proud of it for much hunting as I've done and still married and raised three kids because there is a fine line of doing that, y'all. Because <laughs> mama can get real ill when you're gone all the time. Oh, so. But like I said, she's got hunting with me in the last probably 10 years. Oh, and she loves it. So. <sighs> That's pretty much what we got. We want to do a Q&A now. This is what I love. I love you asking me questions. When you think turkey calls, think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configurations. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB Hen, some days I might like the Ghost Cut. Some situations I might like the Country Girl Call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50 and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50 and the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with Mike and Sam we were all super impressed I mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and Andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So, guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T R U L O C K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. Jeremy, I'm going to start just with something real quick. Um, 
so we, we hunt in all state a whole bunch too and in the past see daniel i'm a little bit different i like mountain deer as you can see behind me it doesn't matter how small they are if it's a mature buck typically i'll, I'll scrounge some money up to go get it mounted um one issue that a lot of guys have when they're going out of state is again the cape and the deer off the face because you can't just cut it at the head you have to have the cape completely off the head the face and everything and then cut a clean skull plate off because of cwd nearly all states require that or you'll get in that absolute heap of trouble if you bring back a deer to your taxes in your home state with a full head intact in the past i'd always and when i killed deer like this deer right here this iowa deer and that velvet buck as well i would cape it up to the back of the head and i'd find a local tax service to the area to cape it off the face because i was too worried about cutting the eyes out and everything else after that i had a really good buddy of mine who's a tax service he's done some deer for me and he told me he's like go get if you shoot a small buck you shoot a buck maybe you're not going to mount practice caping it off the face so you feel comfortable doing it yourself so you can do it anywhere in the country and that's helped me out tremendously it helped me out tremendously this year in a couple different bucks out of state where i caped it off myself i didn't have to go pay a tax service to go do it i had to carry about any of the logistics and it's super easy there's plenty of good videos ben uh, mears has a unbelievable video on youtube for you to learn how to cape a deer off the face so you have a clean hide you can cut the skull plate off and you can bring them back 100 percent. you don't have to worry about tax service doing it so that's just something that's huge and Again, a big deal if somebody's going out of state and they kill a buck that they want to get mounted. It's a really big deal. Also, real quick, kind of getting uh, to some Q&As here. After everything that they've covered and some of the demonstrations, what questions do you all have? You can raise your hand. I'll come around with a microphone, or I may have to have you guys walk to me if you're sitting down, and uh, we'll get those questions asked, okay? When you hunt in the river edge and, and you're looking at oxbows to hunt, and you were saying that the bucks will push the does in there, uh, what specifically are you looking for to determine which oxbow you're going to hunt? Well, like that in a while ago, there was two or three of them there. You, you, a lot of times I might go in there early and see what kind of sign. You, that in a while ago, there was, like, there was two big ones. So it, you basically had a 50-50 chance. There's not really nothing I'm looking for. I'm just looking for that unique feature. Uh, like I said, I, I set back that place and hunted out from it the day before, and I seen it was water, had them pushed up to it. It's really where I learned that place at. Because uh, they was coming upside and they kept going in, the does kept going up in there. Uh, and then I had a, a mature buck to come in there and do it too. So it, it's, most time you don't find that many hairpins like that picture was, uh, you just try finding that. Uh, you know, most time what I've seen is like a point out on a, on a lake. Most time it's just one. So you're not, it's, it's, it's not really not what I'm, what's about it. It's just, it's how the unique features of it, how it's laid out. Who else has a question? You can raise your hand, I'll come to you. All right, Jeremy, I've got a question for you. So one thing I've been wanting to talk to you for a while after having you on the podcast is talking about finding your niche and replicating your niche in other states. So you've always talked about hunting river bombs, and you mentioned this on the podcast uh, talking about, you know, you love river bombs. So pretty much any state you go to, if you're hunting whitetails, you try to find river bombs, go hunt. I want you to talk about the idea of finding what you're comfortable hunting terrain-wise and habitat-wise, and when you go out of state, maybe try to find an area that you would be comfortable hunting in that has the same kind of terrain, even though it may be in a completely different state. That's true. You, you heard me say I like river bottoms. Y'all know your niche. You know what you're good at. M mimic it. You know, because a river bottom in Mississippi is the same type in Missouri, the same type in Iowa. It's going to have the same characteristics. Uh, so, like, uh, it's mimic what you know. You what you know, 
what you what you if you're a good hunter and you kill mature bucks there's there's some type of terrain you really like like i said daniel's pretty a lot broader than i am he likes hills and he likes hunter bottoms too so that's what i basically say hey mimic mimic what you're good at oh you you can replicate to and if you ever do it a time or two i promise you that confidence level yesterday when we done that panel everybody kept saying confidence if you're confident in what you're doing you can do it because you know you can it's in the back of your mind it's not no failure there you like i can do this it may take a little while it, it, it may you may get in a little rut or so but you just stay with it stay with it and i promise you it'll happen now on the flip side of having your niche is there ever times you like to get out of your comfort zone and go hunt areas that maybe it's not necessarily your niche but you want to get a different experience oh yeah yeah because you want to challenge every once in a while you you got to challenge yourself oh after you after you and like i said i do i do stumble in the hills every once in a while get a lot of opportunities folks say hey man you need to come hunt west virginia i've heard that too many times in the mountains in west virginia I'm like man i'm a flatlander i'm 56 years old now i'm not in my i said it's daniel i like dan you need to go hunt with them so yes but i still do because you're a learning process it's it's i've always said this hunting like this is like the first trip you go is like when you go into the first grade but when you go through the 12th grade look at the difference of what you know let's just say like years of hunting what knowledge you build it's just a building process of it oh. now i want you to talk about sanctuaries too i want to talk about when it comes to you you know you're hunting river bombs or hunting habitat how important finding a sanctuary close by that could hold those bucks that give you an opportunity to catch them coming off that sanctuary when you're hunting he wants me to give up my secrets that i did on the thing there's some there's some things that i've learned over the years think about what's a mature buck learned over the years to survive like he said, a sanctuary. I look for places you cannot hunt. That may be a state park, there's, there's no hunting. That may be a refuge that you can't hunt. I'm not saying I'm hunting it, but I'm finding borders that I can hunt around them. I do really look for that. <laughs> I, I hate to say that, but, and you gotta really hunt them during a the rut because they won't hardly come off of them places unless a doe leads them off. But I have killed some real big deer doing that. And, and, and that's a key feature. When I started looking at my rivers and stuff, I started looking at what's around it. And it could be a big private hunting club that manages their deer, that you know they don't shoot nothing but big deer. I have backed up in corners of their property. Oh, get right on their property line or something. So, you know, that's just something to look for. Oh. I want to talk about from a southern hunter's perspective, hunting the Midwest. How does your hunting experience in the southeast, and maybe Daniel, you can talk about this. How does your hunting experience in the southeast, specifically like Mississippi, how does that apply to other states you go to? And also, what are challenging experiences you've had that maybe you haven't really experienced specifically at hunting your home state? Well, the pressure in the south and the way the deer act in the south, going out of state somewhere else, the deer act completely different, especially north. Um, they're completely different and as far as what I've found and looked for the deer have traveled the same sort of um, to what I've found you know it's a little different ground a little different country but you know they still travel the same and act similar the similar to what they do at home except at home they look up at you and they run you know in the Midwest they may look up at you and keep walking they don't even think nothing about it uh, but challenges, you know, some days it's just not your day. That's the only challenge I've found, really, um, as far as from home 
to the Midwest. Sometimes you just can't play it right. Jeremy, what, what's your thoughts on that? I want to answer that one. I, I have a lot of folks ask me, like, where's the hardest place you ever hunt? I like, have you ever hunted in the South, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee? The reason is thick country, long gun season, our area, they run dogs. Them deer are just spooky. I can remember I killed one of the one of the deer I killed in Iowa one time. I was in a spot I couldn't get. My platform was this tall, this high, and I was in a thick spot. And I looked up, and that deer went 20 yards from me. He was coming on a mission right by me, and I like, man, there's no way I'm gonna move without him seeing me. And I knew I had. To, I just grabbed my bow and picked it up. He just looked at me and never broke stride and just kept walking. And I shot him about here that tree, that, that deer right there. And I'm like, man, a Mississippi deer, when I moved that bow, he'd looked at me, he'd, be, he'd been right the other way. So <laughs> these boys here stayed from the Midwest. They are in super good buck country. But i like, y'all boys come to the south and hunt. <laughs> it's, it's just different. So if you're in used to hunting tough deer and you get out in these deer that's not, you know, I shot a deer a couple years ago. He smelled me and looked at me. I, he was standing out there, and he just looked at me, and just he like, because here's what I think about that. At open country, think about it. They're used to something, something going to catch them. They got to get close to them. So if they're standing out there 50 yards, and they're looking at you, they're like, you're not going to get me. But a deer in the south, they see they're going to be gone. They don't, they don't look to, so. What other questions we got here? So Jeremy, after all the hey Jeremy, after all the years, like let's say you picked an area you're going to go scout, or maybe you're you've already gone there, you're hunting. How do you know the line of I'm going to pull the plug on this, or you know I've just got to keep pushing to get there? Because I feel like a lot of times I, I kind of ride places out that. <laughs> you, you learn from experience. I, I got a primer from last year. I went to Wisconsin and didn't plan on staying, but just a few days, I fooled around and went back three different times <laughs> and didn't kill nothing. So I learned, you, you got to set yourself a, a goal. But one thing I learned about going in an area, because a lot of times we hunt sign. We're not hunting a deer. We're hunting sign, and if a mature deer comes through, we finish shooting. Because most time we don't have pictures of him. We're, we're setting up on sign, and what we've learned is, Get in there. My what I prefer is get in there, say at lunch, scout, scout, find my spot. I'm gonna hang, set all day, set, set to dark. I'm gonna leave my set up, cause I can get out quiet. I can slip back in the next morning, get in, and I'm gonna hunt it next morning. If I don't do no good by lunch, I may get down and scout a little further, do the same thing. So a lot of times I don't like hunting a place very long, but now if I've seen a big deer in there and I know there's a big deer in there, I will stay longer. Oh, and I, one of the deer I killed now was several years ago. It was like the fifth day I stayed in there and killed a deer in there. Oh, and that's probably the first one I'd ever killed staying that long in one spot on traveling. But I knew he was, I knew there was a big deer in there. And he, and he finally come back through right at dark one day. Jeremy, what do you think is one of the uh, biggest mistakes guys make when they're trying to do an out-of-state hunt and maybe they find it overwhelming or they just don't see success on that very first trip. What do you think potentially is a, a big mistake a lot of guys do on their very first trip out of state for whitetails? Well, like I said, it's a learning curve. So you don't, you're not, you know, don't have the expectations too high. 
You know, I, I've heard a lot of guys say, man, I, I don't want to buy this high-dollar license if I'm not guaranteed to kill a big deer. And I'm like, you can't go in there looking at it like that. Uh, it, it's, it's a learning process. The way I look at it when I go to some of these states, I know they're big deer in. I look at it, there's an opportunity. I know that opportunity is way bigger than me staying at home hunting that time of year. So I, I look at it, it's just an opportunity, you know, for them making a mistake. A lot of them got, don't set your expectations too high. Oh. Uh, but a lot of guys I really talked to, I've talked to three or four of them that this, this, this show here, they're like, man, we went somewhere and we didn't kill them. We had a ball. And a lot of it was, a couple of them was father and sons. And I said, hey, do that. Man, that's, that's family time you won't ever forget. Uh, but you learn from it. I look at it a lot like batting. You know, I love playing, playing ball and stuff. You get in a rut, change, adjust. Don't keep doing the same thing. Uh, you, you just got to learn to go with the flow and, and change. So in addition to that question, talking about changing, um, at what point, if you're hunting out of state, what is your thought process on a guy going back to the same piece of public year after year and continuing to learn it versus bouncing around to different areas even if he wants to go back to that same state? I don't like going to the same place over a couple of times. Some guys may want to stay and keep learning it and learning it and learning it. We got a place in Arkansas we hunt a lot. And we've hunted, you know, I probably hunted 15 out of the last 20 years. What I've run into is the same place is not good year after year over there. So you're, you're going back and relearning different areas. The, really the only reason we hunt this is because it's a rut. And there's big deer in that area at a time that's not good nowhere else. So I, I think that's what leads us back to that place. But, um, <clears throat> you know. But with that, I mean, for the average guy, I mean, do you see any disadvantage of hunting the same spot, the same piece of public year over year? Or is it one of those things that, you know, maybe you're not seeing success there, it's worth picking up and going, even if it's a county or two over to a different piece of public land? I guess I've got that philosophy of I went into places and, and killed a big deer in a day or two. I look at, man, if I stay here and I'm not doing any good, or even if I do just kill a, a mediocre deer in a place, I like what else is over here that that I'm missing. That that that's my mentality. Is I hate to hunt a place very many times. I will hunt a place if I kill a big deer and I go back and kill another big deer. I'll probably hunt it another time or two. Like I told you <laughs> on the podcast with this YouTube channel, you think a little bit different. Uh, I, I've killed two big deer in the last two years in a place that's a sleeper that I like. I better stay out of it this year because folks are going to pick it up off YouTube because it's very unique if you know what you're looking for. <laughs> Who else has questions over here in the, in the crowd? You can raise your hand. I'll walk up to you. All right, Daniel, I want to ask you this. So you're in a different situation than Jeremy. You know, Jeremy's married. He's got kids. You, for, to my knowledge, you don't have any of that, right? You're a single guy like myself, you know, bachelor. You kind of do what you want a little bit as long as you pay your bills. What have you started to love about hunting out of state? Because you've only been doing it for, I think you said, three years now. What, what is getting you excited about going out of state and leaving your home state of Mississippi and having different experiences in other parts of the country? A change of pace. I'm not working all summer. Because right now I'm, I'm, I'm working, looking forward to – that's my goal in a year. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to go have fun for a week, two weeks, three weeks. I'm ready to get on the road. Uh, see new country and learn learn new things. I mean, that's that's what I love about traveling and hunting. I'm always learning. When I leave the house, I'm like, well, fixing to learn a lot. I'm gonna learn a lot more by the time I come back than what I knew when I left. 
So it's just just learning new things and things that you enjoy doing. You like learning stuff like that. That's that's what I look forward to. Jeremy, I, I want to ask you a similar question. What gets you excited about hunting out of state and, and continuing to have these different experiences that you know a lot of guys look at what you're doing like, man, I would love to just do one of those out of state trips. And you know, because of career paths and everything, you're being able to make this happen year over year. You've been doing it for a long time. What gets you still excited about leaving the home state of Mississippi to try to have some of these experiences in some of these states, especially there's still a lot of states you have yet untouched that I think you're still looking forward to going to? Uh, like I said, just hunting new ground. There's just something about scouting a new area, boots on the ground. I get pretty much as much excitement out of just scouting new ground and, man, you find that fresh sign and you're like, man, I want to hunt this right here. But another thing from going out of state, I've always been self-employed. And when I was around home, you get in a tree in the morning, mid-morning, you know, it's just sort of changing the subject. You got something to do. You can't focus. When I get out of state, I let everything else go. I'm there to hunt. I'm there to, I mean, when I go out of state hunting, I look at it like work. You know, I've always been self-employed. I always pride myself in working hard. I'm finna give it 110%. I don't lay around and sleep. Cause I'm like, hey, I can sleep at the house. You don't get to do this very much. So really bust your butt, work hard, and I promise the rewards are there. They're, the sky's the limit of what you can get out of this. Now I'm curious on getting both of y'all's takes on how you go about researching and finding different pieces of pup to go and, and target. What is a few things that maybe you do when it comes to researching public ground that you're wanting to, you know, go and hunt? I'm not asking for specific examples, but like in the past, one thing I've done that's helped out really, really well is not always looking on social media because social media can be very deceptive because some of the best places to hunt for big bucks, nobody talks about. The guys that hunt those and kills deer, they don't ever post on social media. And it seems like you can talk to local regional biologists. They're pretty willing to give up a lot of information and stuff like that. But what do you typically do if you're interested in going to a certain region of a state? What do you typically do in order to try to figure out what's going to be your best option for going there? A lot of it goes with my experience, my contacts I've made over the years. That's one thing. Another thing is not hunting. It's the contacts you make. I rely now a lot of places I go. It's, it's just things I've heard from people say. They may not have been directly telling me about it, but I'm picking up on, they said, man, we seen big deer on this place right here. Oh, uh, and stuff like that. But, and a lot of word of mouth. I, I do a lot more of that now than just, now years ago, I used to set a computer for hours and hours and I'd wake up in the middle of the night this time of year and I'm like, where do I want to go? What, what looks good to me? And I've done my time in cyber scouting. I've done a lot of it, but now I do more, I rely on sources. I've got enough folks that come in on the show, and I, 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 you know, I love talking to hunters, just like today here. I love talking to guys like y'all, and I'm learning. I'm learning from y'all. Uh, you, you may say, I see, you know, you have a picture of a big deer, and I was like, hey, what date did you kill that deer? I, I, there's a lot of things. Is <laughs> another thing we talked to today about the fronts. When these fronts come through, I'm on apps in, in Kansas. I'm on apps in, you know, group apps in Facebook. You can watch when these fronts come across the country when they're killing deer. Because to me, the time is, you may be in a place where your big deer is at, but there's certain times you can kill it. I pay a lot of attention to that, y'all. I, I just, I, I learn from and I, you know, I ask, but I'm soaking all that in. Well, it's like Daniel said, it's, everything's a learning process. Every day you get up and it's hunting, 
We, we always say on our videos, we want our next one better than the one we just put out. We want to make it better. And our hunting's the same way. Now, I, I want to I throw this question back at you because I want to dive in a little bit more on this topic about finding and researching areas outside of your home state. So I know now you do a lot of stuff word of mouth. Back when you were doing a lot more cyber scouting, what was some of the more important details you were looking for when researching a piece of public land or a region of state to go to? Well, a lot of it I showed there on a the video while I go is my river bottoms. I'm, I'm, I can pull a map up of that state. First thing I'm looking for is navigable rivers or lakes. That's my key features. Now, big bucks, you, I do a lot of research on you can read, you can, uh, you know, you, Onyx has got a, an app of Boone and Crockett's. I, I pay a lot of attention to that, y'all. Hey, if you want to kill big deer, you got to be where big deer's at. And there's some areas, there's an area in Kentucky up here that's in an odd corner up here that you wouldn't think that's a big Boone and Crockett area, but there's a lot of entries been there. I, I pay attention to stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of things you can, You'd be surprised you pay attention to that you pick up on like, oh man, you start putting all these things, puzzles together, it adds up. Daniel, I want to kind of flip that back towards you a little bit. Again, only now been doing this about three years going into the fourth season now. What has been some of those things that you've learned the last few years when it comes to like finding areas? Because I'm sure, you know, y'all kind of hunt some of the same areas, but you kind of go off on your own as well. What's some of those big takeaways you've learned when it comes to finding different pieces of public land to go and target? A lot of it's just looking for what I know. Um, you know, a lot of places, like he said, word of mouth, places he's told me about, like, hey, this is a good area. And then I look for just what I know, what's familiar ground to me, um, as far as how I would know a deer would travel in that area. And that's what I go look and scout those spots for. Um, pretty much just that's all I ever look for is what I know. All right, guys, I want to turn it back to the crowd here. Who has any questions? You raise your hand if you want to ask these guys any questions specifically on any of these topics or anything different. So y'all touched a lot on the terrain features and what are y'all looking for when you go on a uh, state scouting. How important is knowing the native habitat as it differs from state to state when you're out and looking for mature deer? That's a good question because the habitat and their food source is different. Uh, I don't know why, a lot of it I just learned it from being there. Uh, I don't know really how you'd learn it. I guess I'm going to say a prime example that I never would have thought about this till I seen it when I was in Oklahoma a couple of years ago. Had a big major frost come through in cold weather. The cottonwood trees. I've been in Montana and out west a bunch. I've never seen a deer eat a cottonwood leaf. But it was something about that frost, and I don't know if the sugar content in them leaves, them deer was picking up cottonwood leaves like as acorns. And after that, I paid a lot of attention to that. Oh. But a lot of times you learn little things by people. They, you, you, that's where I pay attention. I say, hey, what's, what, what you're feeding on? What, what are you hunting? Oh. Now, that's how I've learned a lot of it, is just being observant. And then and I'll start asking questions to guys. Oh, that to hunt that area. That's why I love to have a contact in the area. Oh, anytime somebody comes up from a different area, man, I'll swap numbers with them. I say, hey, let's, let's stay in touch. I don't want you to tell me where to hunt. I, a lot of it's the information I can get from him like that. Hey, what? You know, I've got some guys up in the north. Their acorns are dropped up in September. And I say, hey, y'all's acorns dropping yet? 
And they like, yeah. So a lot of times you might pick up, you know, I, I use, a, <laughs> I've learned it's a lot easier to learn it from somebody else than learn it trial and error. You can do it trial and error, and I've done a lot of it. You know, it's just like Daniel, all ago he's talking about places to go. All the places I've went, good places, I say, hey, you need to go hunt them. You need to go hunt them. It's Kansas buck last year. I'd killed a buck in there three or four years ago, and I'm like, hey, you need to put in and hunt this area. He didn't kill it in the same spot, but he went to the same area. So a lot of times you'd be surprised, y'all, what you can pick up from other people. Does anyone else have another question? All right, to get to a point of wrapping up, Jeremy and Daniel, um, if somebody wants, if anybody here, anyone listening to this episode wants to be able to go out and have success for their first time ever out of state, or maybe they've done it a few times, but they haven't been able to connect yet on a mature buck, what would be one of the number one things you tell them to really pay attention to going into this season and really set those standards, like you said correctly, don't overset your standards to be able to go out and try to have success, you know, on an out-of-state hunt this year? You know, I guess I look at everything from a southern guy going north or going Midwest. You can have a fair hunt in the Midwest and it'll be an awesome hunt for a southern boy. <laughs> so that's why I say don't set your standards too high, but you get out there, you're going to stumble into some good places, y'all. I had a guy come in the other day on the show, and he, I mean, he messaged me. He only messaged me, man, I thank you for getting me out of my comfort zone. I went to Kansas last year, and he said the second day and I was in a tree, he said I had a 180-inch deer come by. I've never been by He said, I missed him. He said, I ain't never seen a deer like that. He shook me so, but he said, thank you for, I guess what I'm saying, there's areas out there that you're going to stumble in that you're going to fall into a gold mine like you, but there are going to be some gar holes too. <laughs> you just got to wade through them. But if, I basically, if you've been two years and you haven't had success, change. Like I said, adjust. Go to a different place. Pick a different state. You're eventually going to get in some of these good areas. Like I said, it's common sense. Learn hunt. One thing I say about a traveling hunter, you need to be successful in your own area first. You, 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 you need to be confident that, hey, I can go to my holler here, my hunting club, my national forest or something that I hunt, and I'm pretty confident I put my time in and I can kill a deer. If you can do that, you can go out of state and hunt and kill a mature deer. I'm pretty confident anybody. Daniel, what's your take? Man, pretty much the same thing uh, as far as as far as that goes. Just mainly because I've learned so much from him about going somewhere. He and he told me he's like, don't expect the greatest from your first trip, but learn from that. You know, it, it's not all about killing something your first time. It's 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 a lot about learning, um, learning new new things, and you're you'll have fun at it. If you've never traveled, you will have fun at it if you if you give it a try. Awesome. Appreciate everybody joining us. Jeremy and uh, Daniel, can't talk. Jeremy and Daniel, thank you all so much for joining us and really give an awesome presentation. Hopefully this has inspired everybody to get out there and do an out hunt. If you haven't already done some, I've been doing it for a while now. It's an absolute blast. And it's amazing what you can learn out of state that then when you come home can actually directly apply with where you're hunting at home, even though you might have been hunting in the Midwest. So thank you all for joining us, and uh, we'll do a little meet and greet after this. Thank you.
Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You gotta be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.